we're not going to let the hate win. Now on the news hour, targeted and tagged with a hateful message. The Langley neighborhood left dealing with this. And someone had spray painted on the sidewalk, Ukraine equals Nazis, with a uh, arrow pointing towards our flag and home. Apparently, all because of this. Plus, still waiting for answers. Yesterday, it was unbearable to be down there longer than a few minutes. The mystery surrounding a sewage spill and its source and when it actually started and a very close call. The fire was just uh, pretty huge. Another tent fire in a notorious encampment and its suspected source also. Even. Together at last. I was feeling like my heart was very hinty. A refugee and her best friend finally reunite on Canadian soil. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight in a Langley neighborhood that has been left with an eyesore that is hard to overlook. Hateful graffiti apparently spouting pro-Putin propaganda tagged on a residential home and sidewalk. Jasmine Bala joins us live in studio with details on what's apparently now a police investigation. Jasmine. Yes, yeah, Sarah, that's right. It was originally a show of support for Ukraine. You know, this Langley family putting up a Ukrainian flag in front of their Willoughby home shortly after Russia's invasion into the country. They'd been proudly displaying the blue and yellow in their neighborhood for about a year. And then on Thursday, Kirsten Biscard came home to some vile words and imagery on display instead. This is what she saw. The words Ukraine equal Nazi spray painted on the ground with an arrow pointing to her front gate where a swastika had been drawn. Biscard says it was shocking to see her family has lived in Langley for eight years. It's a multicultural neighborhood and they've never experienced anything like this before. But she says it's not surprising considering Russia's propaganda around the invasion into Ukraine, particularly Vladimir Putin's words about it being a demilitarization and denazification mission. One day after Biscard's family noticed the hateful graffiti, more paint appeared, but this time someone had spray painted over the words to make it read, Go Ukraine, instead. We're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be quiet about this. Uh, we're going to stand up in defiance. We've added two more flags. Our neighbors have added flags. Uh, we're not going to let the hate win. It made me feel rather disgusted, especially since I'm a teacher and I have students that are directly impacted by the war in Ukraine. Like my heart hurts when I think about how they would react to this. Biscard says she has filed a report with Langley RCMP on the incident, who told her they would be investigating and forwarding it to the hate crime unit. Now, we did reach out to RCMP for comment, but have yet to hear back. Sarah. Okay, Jasmine Bala, thank you. Well, eight months since Vancouver's fire chief ordered a controversial homeless encampment on the downtown east side cleared, setting a major safety hazard. Tents are slowly disappearing from East Hastings. But as Kristen Robinson reports, the fire risk remains as proven by another blaze this weekend, affecting more lives and businesses. It's a sad situation. Dan Sundman starting over again. All his possessions burned after fire destroyed two tents including the one he was letting a friend sleep in Saturday night. Just a bunch of flames, at least 10 feet high, maybe a little bit higher. The friend managed to escape the fire they say started in their neighbor's tent. They said there was two 10-pound uh, propane tanks in the other tent, and they, they both just blew up. That's kind of scary. Kind of glad that he wasn't in there. 
I know this looks bad for, for the tenters, but uh, you know, we're not all bad people. Dozens of tents have caught fire along East Hastings since Vancouver's fire chief ordered the removal of structures last July, citing a catastrophic safety risk. Karen Fry says the latest blaze, fueled by two large propane tanks, consumed two tents and damaged a building. It could be worse than what it is right now, definitely, without the uh, fire truck. Wayne Yu saw the fire erupt and alerted the neighboring business. Yeah, I heard some explosion. That's kind of scary. The property next door still washing away the damage, including a shattered front window and burnt awning. The owner expects it'll cost him up to $2,000 to repair. While the number of tents along this stretch is shrinking, the city says it's working every day to connect people with housing. It's a difficult uh, situation. There are people in the encampment that uh, don't want to accept uh, that housing or shelter space uh, for various reasons. And as well, there is limited uh, housing and shelter space. Has anyone offered you housing or shelter? No. No. Sundman, who lives on disability, says this is the third tent he's lost in weeks. The first seized, the second collapsed by snow. It's been tough. And once you get on the street, you get labeled as a street person and people don't like to rent to you. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police in Kamloops are investigating an early morning shooting. First responders were called to the 1800 block of East Trans-Canada Highway just before 8.30 this morning. For reports of a person hit by a vehicle, it turns out a man had actually been shot. Police say the victim, who is known to authorities, was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. It is believed that attack was targeted. It has been nearly a week now since sewage seeping into the Capilano River on the North Shore was first noticed. But a lot of questions still remain, including when and where that leak started. Here's Julie Nolan. I can see the damage it's doing to the waterway. Squamish First Nation Councillor Wilson Williams is growing increasingly concerned about a leak of raw sewage into the Capilano River. Yesterday it was unbearable to be down there longer than a few minutes. Discovered by a member of the public one week ago, Williams wonders just how long it's actually been leaking when the discoloration of the water and rocks is clearly evident. We use it for ceremony and we fish actively year round and uh, our families visit the area as well uh, daily. So, I mean, uh, and our community's right there. Any introduction of contamination into the waterway is, is affecting the nation in all kinds of ways, ecologically, potentially human health risks. When our news crew came to the site, we were immediately asked to leave by the adjacent Woodcroft condo buildings where the leak could be originating from. We're from a news organization covering a major issue yes, here. You can do that from offsite. Unnamed representatives from the property management company asked us to vacate the premises, citing it being private property. We also reached out by email to those representatives for a response. We're looking at not directing blame. We're looking at stopping this leakage and then dealing with things after that. Testing is now being done by BC's Environment Ministry to get an accurate picture of what and how much is going into the river. And while contractors are now sandbagging the polluted stream into the Capilano, the Squamish First Nation says any amount of pollutants is too much. In the absence of data, you always want to be taking a precautionary approach and ensuring that you're taking all the immediate steps in the, in the you know, possibility that it's worst case scenario. 
The Squamish First Nation is now awaiting a detailed plan by various government agencies and wants more action and solutions put in place sooner than later. Julie Nolan, Global News. And similar concerns for the environment in the Okanagan, where scattered trash and debris near a nature reserve could be impacting wildlife. Victoria Femia now on concerns for the ecosystem in Vernon. Fresh shed is coming, and if this clutter continues to spread into the environment, we're going to have a real disaster here pretty soon. This is what people can expect to see heading into or out of the north end of Vernon near Swan Lake. Piles of scattered garbage. And according to a wildlife professional, the impacts of this mess on the environment can be severe. It flows into the creek, uh, flows into, and that, that creek is connected down to Okanagan Lake. So it's, it's a terrible situation, really is. It has to get cleaned up. And it's not just the environment that's at risk, it's also the wildlife. The things like the raccoons, the coyotes that get in there, the ravens, the crows, all of them are in there. And then, of course, what happens is the bears get in there and they're just spreading it around. There's been quite a few cases where we've had to go and rescue uh, ducks and geese that have been uh, trapped by uh, the, the tops, the plastic tops that are on top of, of uh, pop cans and things like that. One area resident and frequent walker of the nearby trails says the mess continues to get worse and he worries for the animals that could come across it. As some of the contaminants, excuse me, can you imagine a little critter putting their nose through there and then growing and they are going to die. Uh, there's other little bits of contaminants all over. Since much of the area is part of a nature reserve, Dean says it's disappointing to see it being treated this way. There's nature reserve walks onto this land, onto this watershed, and it's like the lungs of Vernon. It, it, it's a really important environmental place right next to our city. So yes, it is concerning that uh, it's not getting cleaned up. Since the mess is located at the north end of Vernon, but also near the CN Rail, Global News reached out to the city of Vernon to see who's responsible for monitoring the land and taking care of the mess. However, they did not get back to us in time for broadcast. Victoria Femia, Global News. The fallout over the financial fiasco at Flair Airlines continues tonight with more passengers left stranded and in the dark over what they say is a lack of communication. Grace Key reports on the commercial dispute causing some major turbulence. Susan Crosby and her husband drove two and a half hours from Mackenzie to Prince George to catch a flight to Tucson. As they arrived, they got a text that the flight was cancelled. I'm very disappointed in the airline that they didn't have better customer service there for us. Uh, and I really feel for the families. There were families with children for their spring break holiday and they aren't going anywhere or now. And yeah, so it, it's very disappointing. The only information, this letter on the counter with a number and email. They offered to reschedule and I got another message, but the rescheduling was um, having us leave Tucson on the 17th of March and then go from Prince George to Tucson on the 24th. So it was just totally 
um, a mess. Flair says a dispute with a New York-based hedge fund has affected four leased aircraft, adding it's committed to expanding its presence in Canada and travelers can be assured Flair Airlines will continue to fly its schedule. The airline will utilize additional fleet capacity to minimize the impacts on passengers and does not foresee any major disruptions to its route map. There's no way that this airline did not get ample warning that this was going to be happening. Travel expert Claire Newell says some cheap flights offered by low-cost carriers just aren't sustainable. It's great for consumers as they want to take advantage of this, but be cautioned that if you are going to be buying really low uh, airfare on a newer carrier that doesn't have a lot of fleet, that you need to get the travel insurance to protect yourself from cancellation and interruption. Susan canceled her trip. Flair is promising a refund and offered a hotel voucher, but when they arrived, the code was incorrect. Just it was just one more thing, and and and, and just to top it off, the the um the notice that they left at the counter of Flair Airlines had spelling mistakes, which just the unprofessionalism and the whole thing. I just um. I, it's pretty hard to trust something like that now. Susan says she won't be flying with Flair again. Grace Key, Global News. Okay, here's a story you will likely be hearing a lot about tomorrow and later tonight as the Asian financial markets just opened up for trading about 10 minutes ago. All eyes will be on the first day of trading since the collapse of a U.S. bank on Friday. That is when depositors withdrew billions of dollars from Silicon Valley Bank, forcing U.S. banking regulators to close the California-based institution. In Canada, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions says the bank operates here as a foreign branch based in Toronto, which it supervises. They say their Canadian assets have been seized to preserve their value in light of its closure in the United States. The office adds Silicon's business in this country is primarily lending to corporate clients, and the branch does not hold any commercial or individual deposits in Canada. It is seeking permanent control of the Canadian branch's assets. This is the second biggest bank failure in American history after the collapse of Washington Mutual in 2008. Age, President Joe Biden is set to address the banking crisis tomorrow morning. Two separate relatively minor tremors hit off the B.C. coast this weekend. This morning, a 4.3 quake struck more than 240 kilometers away from Port Alice at a depth of 10 kilometers. And just before midnight last night, a 3.8 magnitude quake rattled Graham Island in Haida Gwaii. The tremor was recorded 50 kilometers south of Dajing Gids, also at a 10 kilometer depth. So far, there have been no reports of damage and no tsunamis were triggered by either quake. Drivers, cyclists and transit users in the Fraser Valley are being warned about possible delays starting tomorrow while the Glover Road overpass on Highway 1 is being replaced. The demolition of the existing overpass will begin on Monday. Drivers and cyclists are being told to detour to 216th Street to cross over Commercial 1. Commercial vehicles should use 232nd Street. The construction work will also cause some buses to be rerouted. The new Glover Road crossing is expected to be open to traffic as of next year. Coming up, a long-awaited reunion more than a year in the making. It was impossible for my dog and for my cat to, um, you know, go out of Afghanistan. So that was a huge, miraculous um, opportunity for me that I didn't want it to lose. A refugee and her best friend finally reunited on Canadian soil after a journey spanning continents and countries plus. The relationships he's been able to build over these years with players that are now into their you know, 40s that still 
think of him as their coach. The Lower Mainland coach with a living legacy spanning five decades. His impact and influence on hundreds of local athletes on and off the court. That's coming up later in the show. Stay with us. More than a year ago now, hundreds of pets from Afghanistan touched down on Canadian soil, a safe place to land, after escaping the chaos of the Taliban's return to power. But it turns out it was just the start of an exhaustive ordeal for one dog and its owner, also a refugee, culminating in an emotional reunion this weekend. Travis Prasad has their story. <laughs> this is the face of relief. Oh, yes. Lucky the dog has it's likely so never been happier. I was thinking that I'll never see them again. No. In February of last year, Freshta Siddiqui made the gut-wrenching decision to put Lucky and her cat Leo on a flight out of Afghanistan. As she and her mother prepared to escape to Pakistan, away from the oppressive Taliban rule. It's impossible for any uh, women to live in Afghanistan without uh, having any male guardian with them. The animal rescue flight chartered by SPCA International took off from Kabul and landed at YVR. Nearly 300 dogs and cats were unloaded and held at the airport in a temporary shelter called Mission Possible. From there, they were adopted out, or like in Lucky's case, put in foster care in hopes of one day going back to their owners. We did have them in a Yaletown condo, on a 19th floor Yaletown condo for a couple of weeks. And he was really not a Yaletown dog. For the last five months, the three-year-old Anatolian Shepherd has been living in Oregon, working with a dog trainer that specializes in separation anxiety. But on Saturday, all his troubles melted away as he reunited with Siddiqui at the Peace Arch border after one long year apart. Yesterday, I rescued him, but today, he rescued me. He saved my life. Siddiqui had already been reunited with her cat, Leo, when she made it to Vancouver as a refugee in December. Now, with Lucky's love back in her life, she's ready to start a new chapter in Canada. This, you know, just kind of Hollywood happy ending uh, between, you know, a remarkable woman and a, an absolutely extraordinary dog. So uh, it, it warms my heart. I still can't believe that it's actually happened. There's Aww. no doubt this dog is living you, up baby. to his name. I love you, love you, love you. Travis love Prasad, you, Global you, News. You. With soaring food prices taking a toll on all of us, United Way is testing a new app that aims to connect food to those who need it. The Food Link app is demand-driven and designed to tackle food insecurity by reducing food waste and feeding people. It works by connecting the specific food needs of nonprofit partners and their clients to food organizations and suppliers, while mobilizing volunteers to transport the food between locations. That provides businesses with a free and easy way to donate food while ensuring community members have dignified access still to nutritious and culturally appropriate food. Imagine that now communities have an app that kind of serves a, like, a, like a shopping list. They can submit exactly what they need for their weekly meals or food hampers or any other program. And this need will be visible to suppliers. So suppliers can then go and address it. We support 1,000 families each week. It takes a lot of food to support those families. The FoodLink app is going to give us access to food we would otherwise not have access to. The FoodLink app has launched as a pilot in Surrey, the Upper Fraser Valley and the North Okanagan. Anyone interested in helping deliver food in those communities can sign up online. After the break, mass protest against a mysterious mass poisoning. 
Outcry in Vancouver as thousands of young girls in Iran suffer from a suspected coordinated attack with more than 100 suspects in custody. Plus, I really could care less about the vehicle and, and really I, my uh, wish is that we just get our uh, community uh, headdress back. The ceremonial headdress of a First Nations chief now in the hands of a thief. The search for whoever stole a car containing a priceless piece of regalia. The break, stay with us. Almost unthinkable allegations of thousands of Iranian schoolgirls being poisoned prompted a large protest in downtown Vancouver today as the worldwide movement to condemn atrocities in Iran, especially against women and girls, grows. Nagar Moshtahedi now with a story that contains some disturbing images. A large crowd gathering in downtown Vancouver, condemning a suspected poisoning targeting Iranian schoolgirls. Similar rallies held in cities across Canada and around the world. All of the citizens around the world to come and support the Iranian schoolgirls. That's why we are here, to support them, to show that we are with them. <laughs> Horrifying scenes. For nearly four months, Iranian girls and women in hundreds of schools across Iran are falling ill, coughing, choking, unable to breathe. It's largely been viewed as an attempt to silence the voice of Iranian women and girls who are at the forefront of a revolution in Iran. After months of downplaying these incidents, Iran's health minister now says the girls have suffered mild poison attacks. Hardline President Ebrahim Raisi now ordering an investigation. I describe this as, as a war taking place in Iran, a war on women by the Islamic Republic of Iran. Human rights advocates say enough is enough. An impartial body within the international community needs to investigate. This is very organized and systematic operation to orchestrate this across the country to over 200 schools affecting over 1,000 elementary schoolgirls takes a lot of planning and manpower. When this worried Iranian mother showed up to her daughter's school after reports of an unknown substance making girls ill, this is what happened next. <laughs> Now medics, teachers and parents are accusing the Islamic Republic of silencing victims. It's a fight for humanity and this is why I encourage all Vancouverites, all Canadians to join because this is about us as humans. While parents in Iran are desperate for answers, human rights activists here in Vancouver say if these incidents of suspected poisoning of girls doesn't move the international community, they don't know what will. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News. The chief of an Ontario First Nation is looking to be reunited with a priceless headdress tonight. The sacred piece of regalia was stolen along with his vehicle this weekend. This is a handmade, uh, you can tell the authenticity of it when, when you hold it and uh, uh, it's made of all natural um, products such as uh, birch bark and ermine uh, pelts as well as uh, eagle feathers. Chief Scott McLeod says his Jeep Wrangler was stolen early Saturday morning from a hotel parking lot in Mississauga. The community headdress was inside. Peel Regional Police are now investigating the incident and trying to track down that headdress. It belongs to the community. It was created by our community. 
there's a lot of work that goes into the creation of uh, these uh, symbolic uh, bonnets that uh, represent a story um, and significance to uh, our community and our community alone. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, uh, I really could care less about the vehicle and, and really I, my uh, wish is that we just get our uh, community uh, headdress back. And as you just heard, Chief McLeod is appealing to whoever stole his vehicle to just return the headdress, no questions asked. Coming up, Yvonne and Barrier here on this first day of Daylight Saving. Every year I just suffer through it. I, I absolutely hate the time change. I hope they can uh, eventually get rid of it. <laughs> how are you faring from springing forward? We hit the streets to check in on how we're all doing with one less hour of shut-eye. That's after the break, stay with us. Welcome back on this first day of daylight saving time. We can expect lighter evenings this week, but how about the forecast? <laughs> Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with what we need to know. Yvonne. Sarah, we've got a bit of a blip in the forecast, especially this evening. We'll have heavier rainfall, but in the long range, we've got a few bright spots and temperatures are going to start to warm up. We'll be back into the double digits and I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. We're currently sitting at six degrees out of the airport, though it has been breezy at times. We've got an easterly wind at 20 or just over 20 kilometers per hour, and we could still see some of those gusts leading into towards tomorrow morning with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. There's a swath of moisture that we're tracking, a few heavier pockets right in there with the areas that are in orange and red. We will continue to track that overnight before it does start to ease off by the afternoon tomorrow. And areas across the island, higher elevations, a bit of instability where we even could see the potential for some snowfall. But this is the moisture that's going to continue, especially towards the overnight. And this is what we're anticipating as we get in towards the afternoon. On the future cast, there'll be breaks in there. But the big weather story for Traveling along the mountain passes, the snow will continue to intensify. We'll track it through the day tomorrow and it'll likely start to ease off by Tuesday morning. Sea to sky is included within the snowfall warning. Where we could see up to 15 centimeters. The Coquihalla between 10 and 20. Areas near the Rogers and Kootenai Pass between 15 and up to 25 centimeters. And the areas in towards the interior will see that snowfall into Tuesday morning before we start to see a break. You'll want to check in with the latest road conditions. But the sea to sky by tomorrow, we could see up to 15 centimeters. And the areas of concern will be along the Coquihalla Rogers as well as the Kootenai Pass with upwards of 20 centimeters. Rainfall amounts from this latest storm anywhere between 20, 15 and up to 25 millimeters. It should start to ease off though. Through the afternoon, we'll wedge a bit of a break in the action. Now the snowfall along the northern half of the province, it'll be inland. Barry, is that you? Barry, <laughs> all good. We're all good here. <laughs> areas into the central interior between two and up to four centimeters. The southern interior, the snow is really intensifying for the mountain passes. We've got a bit of instability. I did want to highlight areas near Tofino. We could even see the risk of a thunderstorm. We will see the rain taper off through the day and afternoon. Our five-day forecast, so we've got still a blip in the forecast Monday, Tuesday. But Sarah, it's really the long range. Wednesday onwards, we are going to see some sunshine temperatures warming up, which is great for spring break. Back to you. Double digits looking yes. great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We'll see you soon. Did you remember to change your analog clocks last night with the return of daylight saving time this weekend? You may be feeling a bit groggy today along with the rest of us. The debate over daylight savings and if we should do it at all has divided Canadians for years. So no surprise, a lot of British Columbians we spoke with have mixed feelings about it. Every year I just suffer through it. I, I absolutely hate the time change. I hope they can uh, eventually get rid of it. <laughs> we have teenagers, so it was uh, pretty difficult getting them out of bed this morning. <laughs> it's wonderful. It makes you wake up early and sort of spring ahead for the excitement of spring. So 
It's a great idea. I don't mind the daylight saving time. I just don't want to go back in the fall. How's that? <laughs> Okay, and as we know, Barry is a studio. Yeah, he, I make quite an, <laughs> quite an appearance. He's not subtle when he enters. No, no. Um, how do you guys feel about daylight savings? Honestly, I mean, are people so sensitive to sleep that an hour difference? I can't mm. feel that. I mean, I don't sleep no matter if the sun's up or down. Controversial. So I like the long days. I like, mm -hmm. you know, I, do I like need that. that. I do for like golf that purposes, too. I do like the day. True, yeah. and lighter evenings. Okay, exactly. how are we looking for sports? Speaking of uh, Well, Canucks are looking real good, uh, unfortunately. I think if you want them to have a high draft pick, JT Miller's been great, so we'll hear uh, the coach talk about him after the Canucks won again last night, and we'll have a great feature on a career coach and uh, just a great guy in personality, Paul Eberhardt at the BC Basketball High School Championships this weekend. It's a great story. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to that. Thanks both. We'll see you soon after the break. Bottoms up or not? We are seeing a shift in alcohol consumption in Canada, and it's being driven by that younger generations. The new data on drinking and demographics that may surprise you why 20-somethings are bucking the trend of getting overly tipsy. That's after the break. Well, has your alcohol consumption changed in recent years? The answer to that may lie in your age. Exclusive polling done for Global News shows younger Canadians are drinking less alcohol, while older generations are still indulging. Here's Catherine Ward with the data on the demographics. In a shift in alcohol consumption in Canada, and it's being driven by that younger generations. The data on drinking is showing an increasing distinction by age. It seems that younger Canadians uh, are more uh, concerned about the level of alcohol they consume. 40% of Canadians say they have cut back their drinking since the new year, according to exclusive polling by Ipsos for Global News. Among people aged 18 to 34, that number jumps to 51%. Overall, 18% of people say they have participated in a dry month. And again, that number jumps when you zero in on the younger age bracket to 31%. What we're seeing in that data is consistent with what we often see in terms of human behavior. Behavioral scientists say people often put a lot of emphasis on their individual experience when it comes to modifying their choices. If I'm 50, 55, and I've perhaps had a few more years of recreational um, enjoyment of beverages under my belt and haven't experienced any ill health effects that I'm aware of, then I'm much less likely to be convinced or swayed by emerging evidence because my individual experience suggests that this isn't as much of a risk for me. <laughs> Younger Canadians uh, are more uh, concerned about the level of alcohol they consume. Uh, they're more likely to be taking steps to reduce their consumption, more likely to believe that alcohol consumption is linked to both their physical and their mental health. Still, change is slow. The polling shows across the board roughly three-quarters of people say it's unlikely their alcohol intake will change in light of the new guidelines. Much more work to be done beyond just updating the guidelines uh, and hoping that the behaviours will follow suit. Experts say many people choose to change behaviours at the start of a new year, so the real test will be to see if these numbers hold through the coming months. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, Barry's back with the story of an inspiring and impactful local coach. Plus, we are a team of four women, all marine biologists. An epic voyage for seaworthy scientists. The marine biologists turn mariners and their big journey that's coming up after sports.
Don't miss the world-famous Monster Jam coming to the Pacific Coliseum. Experience full-throttle family fun where world-class athletes compete in their supersized trucks doing incredible stunts, including the legendary Gravedigger, Max D, and more. Bring your home and outdoor renovation ideas to life at the BC Home and Garden Show. Chat with trusted experts ready to help you, whether it's a DIY project or a full renovation, discover new ideas and inspiration for all your home projects. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Welcome back. Barry's back. Mm -hmm. Okay, another one for the Canucks. Now that the pressure's kind of off for playoffs. We were just talking, Squire and I were talking <laughs> about that today. They mm. are great when nothing's on the line, which is not a, you know, a great sign for a team, but I guess you can't fault them for wanting to win. That's great, but uh, a little too late to the party. All right, thanks, Sarah. The Canucks have uh, reeled off a season-high four straight wins and against some quality teams. you got to hand it to them. They've beaten the Maple Leafs, beat the Senators last night. One guy who has really elevated his game is J.T. Miller. Earlier this season, he was a player who dogged it on back checks, made a lot of high-risk plays, and was the brunt of a lot of criticism from fans. But Miller has really turned his game around under Rick Tockett. He's been physical, much more responsible defensively, and has been a beast on offense with a lot of his production coming shorthanded. He has seven shorthanded points in his last nine games, including another shorthanded goal last night in the 5-2 win over Ottawa. Got the right pad. And here's a shorthanded attempt. Miller scores! 24th of the season for JT Miller. Shorthanded goal. Yeah, I thought he was a monster tonight. He's, he's been playing really well. Uh, JT's, you know, he's been great. His two-A game has been, you know, and I've been putting him against the top line most nights, and he's in his production. So he's been great. I thought PD was really good tonight, too. And he was, I, I, the three leaders I thought were great tonight for us. NHL tonight, Senators right back on the ice in Calgary. Two desperate teams on the outside looking to get into a playoff spot in the final five weeks. Flames scored but had it wiped out by an offside challenge, but then shorthanded Michael Backlund to fellow Swede Rasmus Anderson. He fires it in. How sweet it is for the Flames. one nothing. they lead in the first. Meanwhile, Jets and Lightning, Winnipeg with the uh, final playoff spot in the West. Six points up on the Flames and Predators. Second period tied at one. Jets power play. Nino Niederreiter acquired a couple of weeks ago from Nashville. Jams it through Andre Vasilevsky. 2-1 Jets. And then later in the period, Winnipeg gets another. Morgan Barron cleans up the rebound in front. That was the winner. Jets win it 3-2. Big victory for Winnipeg, who now move eight points up on uh, Calgary and uh, Nashville in the Western Conference standings. World Baseball Classic Canada managed by former Blue Jays catcher Ernie Witt taking on Great Britain in their opener. This was a wild game. Canada was down 3-0 in the first, but their very first swing of the tournament, Edward Julian cracks as solo homer, and that set the tone for a huge offensive day for Canada. Now 6-5 Canada in the third. Owen Casey with a moonshot to dead center field. It's a solo homer and it's 7-5 Canada. Maple Ridge's Tyler O'Neill is also a terror at the plate as uh, Casey runs around the bases. Uh, O'Neill is a uh, slugger for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was four for four with four RBI. His big hit was a bases loaded double to right center. All three runs come around to score. 
And uh, Larry Walker is also the Hall of Famer from Maple Ridge, also part of Canada's coaching staff. So BC well represented, 10-5 Canada. Canada also took advantage of 16 walks by Great Britain uh, pitchers. And Canada mercy ruled them. Hard-throwing Mariners reliever Matt Brash came on and struck out the side in the seventh to end it. Canada wins 18-8. They play the United States tomorrow. Colombia and Mexico also in Canada's group. Let's hurry hard to London, Ontario for the Briar final. Team Canada, Brad Gushu taking on Manitoba's Matt Dunstone. Gushu with four Briar titles. This is his 20th appearance. Fifth end, 2-1 Canada. Dunstone facing two Canadian stones, but uh, these are why these guys are in the final. Making the pressure shots, just slips by the guard, gets in there for his one. And it's 2-2 after five. There were no multiple point ends in this game until the eighth. And Gushu took advantage of the opportunity as he will hit and stick for a big three. And that's where they stand right now. Canada leads 6-3 in the ninth end in London. Final round of the Players Championship from TPC Sawgrass in Florida. Australian Minwoo Lee battling Scotty Scheffler in the final pairing. They were tied playing the fourth hole, but then disaster for Lee, whose sister Minji is a big star in the LPGA Tour. But that's going into the water. Part of a triple bogey seven. One of two sevens on his scorecard today. Ended up tied sixth at eight under par. Scotty Scheffler put the hammer down, starting at the tough par three eighth. From the rough, second shot on the par three. And he's not going to need that putter for this one. That's a chip in birdie. And he's at 14 under. Had a three-shot lead. It was quickly four. Englishman Terrell Hatton did make a huge move on the back. He had seven birdies in the nine holes, including this one on 18, post 12 under par. But he needed Scheffler to wobble, and that did not happen. Scheffler goes on a birdie run himself. He made five in a row, including this one on the short par 4 12th with that beautiful chip, tapped it in for a birdie. Scheffler at 18 under, a six-shot lead, and then just walked it in from there, finishes in style, a 21-footer to save his par at 18. Scotty Scheffler wins the players, also moves back into the number one world golf ranking. BC boys Adam Hadwin and Adam Svensson finished tied 13th. They each won 448,000 U.S. dollars. Not a bad week. Last night, Provincial High School Basketball Championships from Langley Event Center and All-Surrey 4A Final. Semiamu in Fleetwood Park. Number one ranked Semiamu in white. And Torian Lee, he's the star. Nice driving layup there. Fleetwood Park tried to stay close. Joven Hare lays it in. And uh, really a great atmosphere at LEC. Both schools well represented. It was packed in the stands. The defending champs, though, just uh, were too much. Jack Clayton taking it in strong there. And then more from Torian Lee, who had 18 points to lead the Thunderbirds. 70 to 43, the final. They win back to back 4A titles. Also, congrats to St. Patrick's, who uh, win the 3A, King George the AA, and King David the single A. So, Vancouver schools winning those last three titles. Yeah, it's tough out on the floor. You got to watch yourself. One of the great things about the provincial championships are the people who really give this event a heartbeat. And if you've been around the boys' tournament for the last 35 years or so, you know Paul Eberhardt, a career coach with a sparkling resume and a personality to match. Don't let them go there. And even if they catch it here, I want to trap. I want to the basketball court the is Paul Eberhardt's happy place. He's been coaching for over 40 years and actually got his first coaching job when he was still in high school himself. When I was grade 12, the vice principal asked me to help him with a grade 8 team, and I ended up 
basically doing it because he didn't have the time to ever be there. And, and I knew, like I knew, I want to be a teacher and I want to coach. And for every coach in BC, the end game is to always make it to the provincial championship tournament. This is Eberhardt's 16th appearance with his fourth different school. It's unprecedented, but he was truly destined to do this. Good passing, boys! Well done! From the time I was a child in our um, rec room, there was the pitch, the blown up picture on the wall of my father's you know, 1961 championship team, which is over there, McGee Blackshirts. We love basketball in our family, and that from that moment on, I, I went to the first BC season 79 as a student to watch the McGee team, and it was just like, I gotta get here, I gotta do this. So it was only fitting when Eberhardt won his first and only title in 2011 with R.C. Palmer. His family was right there to witness it all. Uh, 50 years later, after my father had won it in 1961, and his whole team was here. They were all here and, and had a suite to watch the game, so that was pretty cool. You guys kicked our ass! He treasures that championship season, but his favorite part of this tournament is just reconnecting with old friends, whether they be former coaches or players. Paul Eberhardt draws a crowd wherever he goes. The relationships he's been able to build over these years with players that are now into their, you know, 40s that still think of him as their coach, who still talk, etc., and his loyalty. Regardless of the success, it's about the kids first, and he's always made it that way. And so that's why he can't go anywhere, is because he's, he's just got a good personality and people like being around him, and it says a lot about who he is. Kids want to be coached. I believe this. Uh, you, they want to be coached, and if they know that you care about them and you're trying to get them better, they're okay with you pushing them hard, and they're okay with you even yelling at them to try to make them better. I, I think kids really want that, but they have to know that it's coming from the right place. Eberhardt's been coaching for five decades now, and it's hard to believe that he won't be around for a sixth. It's just what he does. Yeah, even when I retire, I, I, I'm sure I'll coach somewhere. I'll help out at a local high school, whatever, because it's just, it's just, you know, it's just what I do. <laughs> and it's my passion, right? And I just love to do it. It's hard for him to walk five steps without people no stopping. No kidding, obviously talking. very well loved. Nothing quite as impactful as a good coach. Mm -hmm, good for him. For sure. Okay, we've got another inspiring story from the water coming up after break. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Next winter, four Canadian scientists on a mission to protect our marine environment are teaming up and taking on an arduous transatlantic challenge, all in the name of conservation. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. The Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge is only for the most seaworthy experienced rowers. So, Team Salty Science has a bit of work to do. I had never rowed before, and none of my teammates had either. We are a team of four women, all marine biologists. They've hired a trainer to get them up to speed for their trip across the Atlantic Ocean in December. A crossing of nearly 5,000 kilometers that will take about a month and a half, cramped in a small boat. Hopefully we get across and we're still friends at the end and feel like it was a positive experience. Hello. Hey. There's more to this than just the adventure, though. They're raising money and awareness for marine conservation. Climate change, overfishing, plastic pollution, all of these things are severely impacting the ocean. It's our professional lives, it's our personal lives. All of our hobbies revolve around being on the ocean. We have seen firsthand the challenges that our oceans are facing in our jobs, and we've dedicated our lives to trying to understand these problems. 
But this is way outside their comfort zone, exposed to huge waves, bad weather, and even some menacing marlins below. Several teams have had run-ins in the past, one even spearing a hole through the hull. We're actually exploring the option of lining the boat with Kevlar to reinforce it so that we don't have that issue. 18 months of training will have this team ready when they push off from the Canary Islands, even if that finish line seems like a world away right now. Besides just wanting a shower and a burger, I think we'll be just overjoyed and proud of ourselves. You know, I think it's been a big undertaking, so I'm looking forward to the end result. If four marine biologists can row across the ocean, then we can definitely start to work together to save the oceans. Jay Durant, Global News. If you have a great BC story suggestion for Jay, email us at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Very cool. Okay, Barry, you have something you wanted to add. I don't like to do this often, but I have to make a correction (laughs) for an error I made. I said that Semiamu was the defending 4A champs. They're not. Burnaby South won last year. So at least they did win this year, but they're not defending champs. So my bad. Okay, I think that's the first mistake you've ever made. Uh, We have to check the record, but I think you're right. (laughs) Okay, quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go. We are going to see it's uh, soggy conditions this evening, rain and heavy at times. It'll take us in towards tomorrow morning. A bit of a lull in the action for the afternoon. Unsettled Tuesday and for spring break for many, bright spots will be for Wednesday, Friday. Love those double digits. That's all for us tonight. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you back here at 11. See you then.